0: And welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, it's an honor to have Congresswoman Jackie Walarski with us today to discuss her new bill, the Working Families Child Care Access Act. This piece of legislation focuses on choice and flexibility as the main components of increasing access to child care and paid leave and provides needed a needed alternative to the one size fits all approach that is often touted as the way forward. We'll get into the details. Details of it and why the Congresswoman thinks it's the answer to improve our economy and benefit women and families. But before we bring her on, a little bit more about the Congresswoman. Jackie walarski represents Indiana's 2nd District in Congress, serving on the House Ways and Means Committee as the ranking member of the Subcommittee on Worker and Family Support. She is focused on helping small businesses and manufacturers grow, expanding opportunities for American workers to succeed, and empowering individuals and families to thrive. She also serves as the ranking member of the House Ethics Committee, working to hold members of the House to the highest standards of transparency, accountability and ethical conduct. Congresswoman, it is a pleasure to have you on She thinks.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Well, my first question for you is, are child care and paid leave considered infrastructure in your mind? Because that's what we keep hearing is that they're part of infrastructure. What do you say? Well, I think they are. You know, if we look at the data where
1: we are today, coming out now and kind of, you know, the the post-COVID um, kind of phase that we're in, we lost 2 million workers. We we lost 2 million women workers in the workplace because of COVID. And, you know, women shouldered a lot of the bearing of taking care of children, taking care of aging parents and those kinds of things. So when we talk about paid time off and we talk about childcare. care. Uh, absolutely. You know, when we're talking about getting COVID behind us, we're talking about, Getting all the bad things that happened with COVID, not just a disease, but all those things that came along with that. So, you know, we've got to get 2 million women back in this workforce and knowing what they're doing besides working, trying to care give for those in their in their homes and in their extended families. It, this is infrastructure. There's highways and bridges. But when you come to these issues of labor, When it's impossible to hire right now because of the extended unemployment, you better believe this is infrastructure. These are the building blocks that we are actually going to build the roads and bridges on. Got to have workers.
0: And that two million number is really astounding. COVID definitely has negatively impacted women in so many ways. And like you were saying, so many of them having to leave the workforce to go back to take care of the children who were at home, sometimes even teaching them. And that's why we wanted to bring you on to talk about the piece of legislation that you were working on even prior to COVID. It's called the Working Families Child Care Access Act. Tell me a little bit about the origins of it and whether or not this is a bipartisan piece of legislation.
1: Well, I will tell you, historically, when you're talking about pay time pay time off, family leave, and uh, child care, these are always bipartisan issues. Always. Historically, when you look back, any kind, anything we've ever moved at the federal level that deals with families, anything that has actually lasted in this country, it has to be bipartisan. Um, so I started working on this a couple of years ago when I got on the Ways and Means Committee. It just made sense that, you know, working families, I think it's important for them to have access to employer-sponsored Um, uh, child care. And so we started looking around and saying, well, let's say what we don't want to do. We don't want to mandate this. We don't want to put a burden on small business. We don't want the government to come in with a what size fits all. So how about if we look at the FSA plans, the flexible spending accounts that a lot of people have, you know, let's retool that and allow people to save and put that money away pre-tax to help pay for child care. You know, only about 1% of taxpayers take advantage of these tax advantage savings tools. So, you know, when we pass this stuff in D.C., we always think it's the latest, greatest thing that everybody's going to be so, you know, excited about. But only 1% of people actually use their FSA account in ways that really meaningfully impact them. So, you know, families traditionally have only been able to contribute 5000 a year, not nearly enough to cover the average cost of child care. So the funds can be used right now for only a very, very narrow set of qualified expenses, and then they're forfeited, which doesn't help any family. So my bill would improve that access to the program by increasing the contribution limit that you could contribute up to 15000 per year. So we would triple that. We would allow those funds to roll over at the end of the year, and we would expand the eligibility of those expenses. So um, when you think about eliminating the burdensome use it or lose it rule. I mean, how many families know, you know, this is, you know, what's going to happen every single year when you get into years like COVID, when you have the unpredictable happen. And then what do you do? Well, you know what, you need to be able to have saved additional money ahead of time and you need to be able to let those funds roll over into a better year. Uh, I think that's what we're seeing right now is my goodness, if families would have had a chance pre COVID to really get and do what this bill allows, we would be in a lot better shape than we are right now when it comes to these issues (coughs) of childcare. This would also give parents more flexibility to use their FSA funds for things like adoption. This is real world adoption, things that families plan for a long time. And this would have allowed them to put a lot of that pre-tax money away and help that family save for something as important as adoption in this country. Tutoring, sports activities, art and music programs, things that are all about the quality of life for your child. And again, think about had we been able to do that going through COVID. The quality of life of these kids and these students would have been so much bigger and better than what we just saw coming out of this dark, dark, you know, uh, COVID 15-month fight. And then the The fourth thing of what it does, it raises the dependent age limit from 13 to 15, which I think just makes sense in today's culture. So, you know, um, historically, yes, these are all bipartisan. This year, no, the Democrats have not even entertained it. They will not bring it down. Um, They insist on having a one approach, one size fits all. And I think it's unfortunate because if there's ever a time we should be unified and getting our country back together, getting COVID in the rearview mirror and, you know, jetting into the future, it's now. And this is the best time to do that. So um, I think it's really important, Bill. I'm doing what I can. Our leadership's doing what they can to continue to work with our Democrat uh, colleagues to, to try to get this in a bill so that families have real tangible money, real things to do. And the Democrats wouldn't have to put so many billions of dollars into child care when we still have $50 billion allocated from the original first bill that's never been spent. So I think if we don't, you know, if if we don't start looking at common sense approaches here, we're not only not going to get ahead, but what's going to happen with these approaches that are coming down that are extremely partisan is they're all going to be paid for by taxpayers. And I don't think taxpayers got that note yet in this country. And so they're going to find out fairly quickly that none of this is free. And when the government spends trillions of dollars, they're going to recoup that off the backs of the very people that they gave the benefits to. And I think it's horribly unfair. I think we can do this in a way that makes sense and allows families to save and families to plan individual plans and not one-size-fits-all handout from the government.
0: I really think one of the key words that you said is flexibility, and you mentioned how COVID has underscored the need for flexibility, because we can't predict the future, and we don't know always what's around the corner, and so having flexibility makes sense for families, yet, as you're mentioning, there is a one-size-fits-all approach that the Biden administration is putting forward. When you talk to those who are in favor of that, or who look at that and say, it sounds great. What, in your opinion, is the problem of a one-size-fits-all approach? What does that mean to the family who appreciates flexibility?
1: Well, I think, you know, the reality is this, is that, um, and I'll speak for my state, the state of Indiana, our kids have been back in school since last September, and still there are states that haven't even reopened, and they don't even have their kids back in school. And so I do understand the need for a, um, you know, an immediate shot in the arm of, you know, some of these states and some of these parents not being able to work because they can't get their kids in school and, and you know, and it just get, continues to go in a circle. But I'll tell you the advantage of being able to make your own decision, you know, allows in my district, I have double income households. So I have men and women working for the most part, middle class, blue collar, and it's really important for them to be able to have, um, you know, the flexibility, for example, in sports, you know, their child wants to be in sports, their child, you know, is gifted in sports. And is looking at, you know, long-term success and wants to be involved in something at a, at a, at a younger grade, um, tutoring, you know, the child's behind. I, I look at COVID right now and how many of these schools are going to have millions of kids behind. And the things that they could have been used for are so impactful for the quality of life and for how parents see the need, not the federal government. You know, the federal government, I mean, the last thing you want involved in your life Deciding how you're going to pay for things as a federal government because they're going to recoup their money from you, whether it comes out of your left pocket or your right pocket, they're coming to get the money. And so I think that um, strategic, targeted money that parents understand how they want to invest in their child makes all the difference. And I think it should be priority one when it comes to how they're cared for.
0: And I, I think so much about the one size fits all plan as well. In addition to all of that, it's either you put your child in gay, daycare, or you have no hope, or you either take all this paid leave, or you go back to work that there, there isn't a lot in the middle. And like you were saying, the school sports, the different options, it gives so much more flexibility to use your money in different ways, which I I think is fantastic. And one element of this, I've heard you talk about this piece of legislation before and something that that stood out to me was your also also your focus on what this means for businesses. So I I am a small business owner, I have four full-time employees and things like mandatory paid leave and anything that government mandates on my business causes our expenses to go up even though my business offers very generous benefits to employees to the the understandable individual needs that they have your type of proposal, this piece of legislation, did you have businesses in mind as a part of this as well, not just families?
1: Oh, for sure. So, you know, I've had many conversations over the last few years with the NFIB, National Federation of Independent Businesses, that advocates for small business around the country, times millions of, um, of uh, small businesses enrolled in that. And, you know, I walked step by step with them because, you know, my concern was I did not want this mandatory There's just no way, and maybe a couple of years ago when people thought about it, they thought about it being a noble, lofty cause. Well, it may have been, but the reality in today's world is A, Main Street, um, small business and medium-sized companies in this country can't hire. They can't hire in my district. So, you know, we got to get people back to work before we even have to start worrying about paid time leave. We've got to get them employed. We've got to get our companies back up and running and stable with some certainty into the future so they know how to plan. Before they start looking at, you know, how can I give my employees uh, paid time off? And in Biden's plan, it's 12 weeks of paid time off. And I don't have very many companies in my district right now that are even stable enough and have enough employees back to even be able to comprehend that program, especially if it's mandatory. So I worked with all these organizations. I worked with private insurance companies that, you know, looked at ways that we could pre- we could present a paid time off plan that wasn't mandatory. But that that would allow them to pool across state lines, like we've talked about before with healthcare. So so the main street mom and pop that has three employees is able to pool with a company that might have 300 employees, and there's a fair way to break that cost down, and not in a mandatory way, but for every company that wanted to opt into that, find ways to continue to, to um, you know sliver down those regulations and and try to give maximum flexibility to the employer. Now I have a mandatory one size fits all, because, you know, if we keep stop if we keep stacking on top of our companies in private business, um, they are just not going to recover. We'll see a, an additional wave of loss of companies, especially small business that couldn't keep up with the regulation from the federal government once they got their employees back. And, and now let me just throw this out here, because, you know, one of the things that is happening in my district, I know it's all over the country, but, you know, I'm in my district, so. I've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks, but it's this issue of when you talk about child care and pay time off, you have to back up and look at what's happening right now with this extended unemployment. We literally have a labor shortage. And so in my district, I can't, you can't even go past the business, even if it's a landscape service that has two employees they're hiring. You know, I've got trucks of, you know, residential, you know, furnace companies, insulation companies, heating, cooling, you name it, and their trucks are shuttered in their driveways because there's nobody to drive them. Landscaping companies, a year a year ahead, they have the clients they have, and they don't have anybody to drive the trucks. I mean, it is story after story after story. So if we don't pull together and change our policy on something as simple as unemployment, we're never going to get to these two issues of child care and pay time off because of the lack of employees and the closing of more businesses. So, you know, we're just at a really critical time, um, Beverly, when, you know, people need to be thinking about, you know, hey, it's great. You know, I'm going to get paid time off and I'm going to get childcare and I'm going to get uh, extended unemployment. I'm going to stay home with my family. But when uh, the tide turns and the cost of this starts coming back on people's pockets between that. And inflation. I don't think folks in my district are going to have any disposable income left by next summer. They won't be able to
0: compete with this price tag. And even on top of everything that you're saying, which is absolutely true and sad at the same time, is also the discussion about increasing the corporate tax rate, which does impact small businesses. So it's also oh, if they're bet. trying to take out of COVID, trying to find people to hire, get back on their feet. At the same time, there's talk about raising the corporate tax rate by quite a few percentage points, which, of course, is devastating to businesses just trying to make ends meet. And so I, I want to shift the conversation a little bit to that direction Is there any movement on Capitol Hill uh, in a bipartisan way to talk about what I consider the backbone of this country small businesses and trying to help them out with all these different factors that we just discussed? Do we see any real effort to think about them and not just to think about a narrative that sells and that sounds good on paper, but that people will have to reap what, what is sown years later, maybe not even years later, just a few months later?
1: Well, I haven't heard a lot of that talk. And don't forget, you know, in the past, we've worked these issues in a bipartisan way with the Democrats. They have not even brought us to the table. They're doing this pretty much on their own. It's been very partisan. It's pretty pretty much been what Pelosi says goes. And we've had no um, open door to even address these things. And so, you know, we're doing it in the media, in our districts. And that's where we're having an opportunity to talk about, you know, you can't, you cannot Um, when you've got small business just trying to survive right now and and you're trying to get out of COVID, you cannot add these regulations on top of them and expect them to be able to survive and thrive. It's just not going to happen. You know, when you're talking pay time off in a Democrats proposal, they're going to raise payroll tax up to 3% on every single employee, you know, and you, and you sit there and you, and you think about, you know, they're going to raise payroll tax 3% here, quarter of a percent here, a quarter of a percent here. Another percent there on top of what the cost of goods in this country are going to end up costing after these, you know, corporate rates go funneling through those companies and get passed on to the customer. Inflation with gas and groceries starting to go, you know, up through the roof. I mean, you know, we're really looking at some hard times here. And that's why I think there's got to be a change of mind um, in Congress. There's got to be a different direction. We've got to work together. Um, you know, we've got to right now we're protecting those that are going to pay the bill on what the Democrats are spending. There's been no conversation about making it fair, making it simple. It's all it's just been about literally moving, you know, multiple trillions of dollars out the door, which, you know, I think in, uh, I think interestingly, Beverly, here we are. We just came through covid and coming through covid and really in the last six months, you know, when covid started, you know, we talked about, you know, multiple billions of dollars. Um, you know, for PPE, for PPP, you know, the loan programs, PPP. We talked about all that stuff, and here we are, not even, not even six months into the new year, and we have gone from talking about billions of dollars to trillions of dollars. And I will bet you there are very few people in this country that can wrap their mind around what the value of a trillion is, let alone multiple trillion in less than six months. What we're doing is unprecedented and very risky.
0: Yeah, and what those tangible impacts are going to mean to everyone. Of course, the narrative is always, it's only going to impact the wealthiest in this country. But as you were saying, (laughs) that that has to be passed along. First of all, it's going to end up hitting people who are not considered the wealthiest. Um, But it's going to hit everybody in costs of groceries and gas, which, as you were saying, we're already seeing increase in prices go up dramatically. Um, So we're talking a little bit of doom and gloom here. So here, here is my question for you, for those who are listening to this and are equally concerned as you are about this. So people in your district, but also people across the country, those who listen to this podcast, what can they do? I think a lot of people feel like it's helpless, that there's not much that they can do to try to get the economy back on track. What do you say to them? We know you're fighting. How can the average citizen fight?
1: Well, you know, I dropped a couple of bills that I think are just common sense bills that will help improve the situation. I dropped a bill that basically pays people to go back to work, $1,200 bonus if they go back to work by the end of July. And, um, you know, the Democrats won't hear it. They won't bring it down. We're just trying to get people back into the workforce. I dropped a bill in the middle of COVID last year, and I dropped it again this year, allowing retirees to go back to work without the Social Security uh, penalty. And, you know, just common sense bills that would help. And so... um, You know, I think to the to most Americans who are very frustrated, you know, I think it's just important that they connect at at the grassroots level. And, you know, if they're in a state that has a Democratic lawmaker, probably a good idea to call them, because right now they're the ones that are at the table making the decisions, casting those votes. And I think they need to hear from the folks in their districts. And, you know, in mine, you bet I'm out there talking to my district all the time, keeping them up to date on every single bill that we drop that would make sense and be an alternative to this real high risk, spending that we see happening right now so people shouldn't give up they shouldn't you know be uh lose hope because i'm telling you you know inside of every american there is passion and inside of every one of us we know what our nation needs we eventually get there and i think you know this has been a much tougher time than a lot of folks have seen before i think covid's played a big part of it but i think the message is don't give up communicate with your lawmakers Every lawmaker in this country needs to be communicated with um, from folks in their districts, letting them know that they're you know, this is not their plan. They don't agree with that plan. They agree with a common sense plan that doesn't balance this on the back of working people. And that's exactly what's happening. So um, but I never give up, Beverly. I mean, we've got the answer in this country. It's hard work. It's doing what we've done to make this nation great. We're still the greatest nation on the face of the earth.
0: Marie, um, thank you so much for your hard work. You're working in a lot of different areas. But again, the piece of legislation we discussed is called the Working Families Child Care Access Act, which is a great way to have choice and flexibility when it comes to paid time off and also child care. We appreciate your effort on that. We appreciate your effort in so many areas and also for joining us on She Thinks Today. Congresswoman Jackie Walarsky, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you very much.
0: And thank you for joining us. Before you go, Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. Please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That is iwf.org backslash donate. And last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It does help. Also, we'd love it if you shared this episode and let your friends know where they can find more She Thinks episodes. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening.